Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and we continue with our birth stories for the summer series. What do you do when during early labor you send your husband out to car nap your older daughter so you can finish getting ready to go to the hospital and labor goes from zero to 60 while you're still at home? Do you panic? Call 911? Call your doula? Do you breathe and center yourself so you're present for your baby? Erin Davis is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guide meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive, pregnant, or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show, the messages you sent me, your support on Patreon.com, telling your friends about the show, all of it. I truly love and appreciate it. And if you haven't done it yet, then please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to the podcast, because that really, truly helps. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, also, remember to get your free postpartum plan worksheet at birthful.com to help you, you know, start getting ready for those first few weeks with your newborn. And if you really want to get ready, then consider signing up for my Thrive With Your Newborn Postpartum Preparation class at birthfulcourses.com. All right. My guest today is Erin Davis, whose birth stories are practically at opposite ends of the spectrum, and I cannot wait for you to hear them. Just a heads up, we didn't have the best phone connection, so there's some places that she cuts out a bit. Just bear with it because the stories are well worth it. Okay, here we go. Welcome, Erin. I am so delighted to have you here on the show today. Thank you for having me, Adriana. This is semi-surreal because I listened to you my whole pregnancy, and I kind of feel like I'm having like a little psychotic conversation with you in my head because I'm not quite sure this is real, but I'm glad it is. And I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Now, now the, 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 the audio is talking back to you now. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not just, uh, not just me and the, the voices. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. So you have quite the roller coaster of the story, s- stories, because it's yeah. not just the one, but um, mm-hmm. so let's talk about you because you have a VBAC story, but let's talk about your first birth a bit. Sure. What did you, what was your mindset going into it and um, how did you prepare for that? So I think, um, you know, I, it, you know, in hindsight, looking back, uh, I think, wow, I, I was not nearly as prepared as I needed to be. But I, I, I did kind of all the, I think, typical things that first-time parents do in preparing. So we took our um, kind of baby care basics course, and we took a childbirth preparation course that spanned over, you know, several weeks and once a week for several hours. Um, you know, I, I took a, a, a breastfeeding course as well that was just actually, it was a, it was a one, a one day kind of like three, four hour course, uh, just to kind of 
kind of get familiar with some of the concepts around that. So, you know, we, we did the typical things. We did the car seat installation, uh, <laughs> you know, safety course and all of that. So um, really, we just kind of did the basics. Um, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily planning on having really any sort of specific type of birth in terms of, you know, really wanting to, to go, you know, drug free or knowing up front, like, I definitely want to get an epidural. I think I was just kind of like, you know, I just wanted to kind of ride the wave, kind of see what this whole birth labor thing was all about and just go as far as I could into labor without, you know, without any drugs or anything. And then if I got to the point where I felt like, Hey, I couldn't handle it or I, you know, was suffering that, you know, I would ask for something. So it was just more of a, like, I, I think, probably a lot of women kind of feel the same way where they're not necessarily stuck, you know, one way or another, but they just, they want to kind of see what their bodies can do and see how far they'll get and then make their decisions from there. Mm -hmm. And then, so we fast forward to the end of the pregnancy Mm -hmm. and surprise. (laughs) Breach. Baby's breach. Yeah. Yeah. So I was probably about, um, I think it was about 35 weeks maybe when we found out that she was breech. But I'll tell you for quite some time, I was, I mean, I was pretty certain she was in the same position and and hadn't been moving out of that position, you know? Um, And I actually kind of found out inadvertently um, by going to a third party kind of clinic where they do, uh, ultrasounds that you can kind of pay for out of pocket. Um, and so I was just, you know, I, I wanted to get one more because when we went to the anatomy scan one, she was still on the smaller end and they really were hesitant to like 100% uh, say if it was a girl or a boy. And, um, they were pretty sure it was a girl, but you know, they, they just didn't want to, didn't want to, you know, put their foot in their mouth. So, so I thought, you know what, I want to go. I'm just going to do a regular old 2D one, you know, nothing fancy. Just just wanted to, to see. And when I went, uh, the, the ultrasound tech was like, oh, boy, this baby is all twisted. And she's got her butt down here and head up here. And, you know, and I was like, oh, OK. And funny enough, you know, it still didn't like I still didn't realize that that was really going to be a big issue at that point. I was just like, oh, okay. She's just, of course, she wouldn't be, you know, cooperative in this situation. And then um, I I guess part of the um, part of the process when you go to a third party clinic is I guess they do share um, the ultrasound um, information with your care provider, just letting them know, I guess, that you went and um, I, 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 I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think in this case, they, they did let them know that she was breached. Um, and if not, when I went in to see my care provider at the next visit, um, I told them that she was, she was breached. And it's funny because a, a week or two before I had that ultrasound, I had gone on, gone in for a prenatal visit and asked them if they could tell what position she was in. And they said, Oh yeah. Um, head is down, butt is up. And so they were under the impression that she wasn't breached. But I think what ended up happening was she was breached, but it was just hard to perhaps tell um, from from just the palpation that she was actually or, you know, her uh, her butt was actually her head and, and vice versa. So 
Um, so it was about, you know, I don't know, maybe 36 or 37 weeks, maybe 36 weeks when, um, I, you know, I had that conversation with my care provider and they essentially told me, you know, you need to meet with MFM if we are going to consider trying to, you know, uh, attempt a cephalic, uh, external cephalic version to try to turn her, you mm-hmm. know, externally. And so, um, that was when it kind of hit me like, Oh no, this is like, this is a problem. Like this could be a big problem. And I, you know, started then to kind of worry at that point. So, right. So, so then after that you decided to not do the version, right? I've been reading your story, so <laughs> I've got some mm-hmm. I've yeah, got some cliff yeah. notes here. <laughs> the policy for your for your OB was to schedule a cesarean at 39 weeks. Yeah. How yeah. did you feel about that? So, you know, it was very it was a very conflicting experience and I think what I took overall from that first birth experience was kind of a story where, um, you know, I was with a, a, a group and a, a sector group that was, you know, obstetricians and there were also some midwives and, and uh, other care providers in that group, but it was mostly a, an OB led group. And, um, so, you know, we had been referred to maternal fetal medicine, um, to have a consult regarding possibly turning her and, as part of that conversation, our our high risk maternal fetal medicine obstetrician kind of, you know, also laid out the option like, hey, you could you could you could decide to not do anything and just keep trying to do what you're doing with your chiropractic work and and trying to turn her on, you know, on 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 your own. And she may still turn and, you know, she very well could not, but she may still. And uh I kind of prompted him, well, you know, hey, so if we took that route, what, you know, what about if we could wait until I went into labor? Because I had heard that some babies will still turn in labor, especially if mom is up and mobile and moving and doing things that it's not, not, you know, really common, but it happens. And, you know, at that time they were kind of, they, they had a kind of a general estimate. They were thinking my daughter was average or, or smaller, you know, in terms of size, obviously still within, you know, you know, nor- normal everything. But so I thought, well, hey, you know, maybe, maybe she can turn, maybe she does have room in there, you know. So uh, he, he agreed, he said, yeah, sure. I, you know, I don't see why that that wouldn't, you know, be a possibility of waiting till you're in labor and kind of said, you know, you, you don't, you just don't want to wait until, you know, the very end and you know you don't want to wait till that you know five minute mark you know why don't you come in sooner than that maybe when you're you know still earlier in labor and what we'll do is we'll check the position with ultrasound if she's turned great we'll just let you keep laboring and if she hasn't then at that point you know we'll move forward with a cesarean and I to me that was at that you know at that point that was to me you know the best option and what I felt you know was what I wanted given all of the circumstances and, and, and everything involved. So, so I felt very supported by that, you know, by that OB. And I, you know, obviously I was very disappointed when I left that appointment. I was still upset and crying and remember thinking, why me? You know, why am I part of that? You know, I don't know, two, three percent of women with breech babies at term, like someone who, you know, I just, I was not afraid of labor. I was just kind of really interested in kind of 
learning what it was all about and seeing for myself. But um, anyways, I felt like that at least was kind of the best kind of middle of the road option at that point. So after I had that consult, then I went back, I don't know, within maybe a few days or a week for my other just follow-up prenatal appointment with um, another OB from the group. And um, she had received a copy of, you know, the the letter um, just kind of highlighting our conversation with the MFM um, OB. And he had mentioned in there that we decided not to do the version, but we would like to wait labor and that's what we're going to do. And she just, uh, she had a very different um, clinical opinion regarding that. And um, she at that point, you know, I, I mean, you know, started really just kind of going into why it was very dangerous and that, you know, um, for me, it felt as though she, she was kind of bullying me into scheduling a cesarean at 39 weeks and she did not, she did not want me to go into labor, she, you know? So at that point it was, it was, it was very conflicting as I had mentioned before, because I had one care provider who was the care provider that my group had referred me to because the complexity and just the elements of, of the situation were outside of their scope of expertise. Right. And that was a maternal fetal, mo- yes, you know, medicine health doctor, medicine doctor, right? which deals with higher, high risk stuff. Right. And right. they're the ones that if you do do decide to do the version, they do the version. And um, actually, the the OB I had the consult with from maternal fetal medicine, he spent the first huge chunk of his career just doing breech deliveries. And and so he he he's one of the very few providers left, even in the region that that will still deliver an occasional breach, you know, in the hospital. So. Um, so it was just very conflicting. I, I I couldn't understand why I had one provider telling me one thing and then I had the other provider telling me that I was, you know, that it was incredibly dangerous, that, you know, my baby could die, that, you know, if I didn't schedule a C-section, she was going to have me sign a form saying that if something bad happens to my baby, that it's not her fault and that um, essentially, you know, she's going to put a note in my record about all that, you know, it, it was very like, I, I just felt very cornered and kind of bullied. And, and I felt like there was no discussion of the benefits of maybe waiting, you know, for labor for the baby or for me, or, um, you know, it, it, there was just, it was just, no, that's, that's not good. That's bad. You can't do that. That's, you know, and if you do that, then I, you know, I wash my hands of the situation. So it was, it was very unnerving. So I kind of left that feeling very, um, very torn and very bullied. And I definitely, from that kind of, that, that from that experience, I remember thinking after when I was pregnant with my, my second child thinking, wow, I wish I really had had a doula at that point because you know, luckily I had my husband to kind of bounce things off of and talk to him. And, you know, he didn't, that didn't leave a good, you know, taste in his mouth either, but also he's not someone who's, working in birth and could really kind of, you know, say whether or not, you know, the SOBI was right about how dangerous it could be or not. So because of me being so torn and not really understanding kind of which clinical opinion was right, I ended up actually going back to the maternal fetal medicine doctor because I had it, we had a good conversation with him and I, you know, I really respected him and I liked him. We had a good conversation and and I kind of told him, look, like, this is what 
this is what was said and now I'm being told this and I just don't really know what to believe. Like, do you, is there anything that you can add to this? And, and he was very supportive and, and, and essentially saying, look, you know, <laughs> there's clinic, you know, here's the research here, are the numbers, there's, there's no reason that you cannot go into labor. And as we discussed, we just, you know, you don't want to wait till the very end. You want to come in, you know, earlier in labor. And other than that, though, I mean, there's really, you're not at any higher risk for any other complication than a woman with a head down baby with, without any other prior, you know, obstetrical history. So obstetric and history. That's a really, you know, it is a very tricky situation to be put into because you have these conflicting and, and it speaks to the importance of the care provider and you know, mm -hmm. how supportive they are to different things and mm -hmm. your connections with them. And, mm -hmm. you know, you may not have had a doula, but the fact that you felt comfortable to go back to the mm -hmm. um, MFM and and talk to him about like, mm -hmm. listen, what what's up, what's down here? Um, mm -hmm. And have somebody show you clear evidence and numbers so Absolutely. that you could make your informed choice and decide mm -hmm. what was best for your situation and what risk you were willing to take. Right. I think that's something that can't be stressed enough Mm -hmm. uh, to for you know, I want people to hear this because it's huge. It's huge mm -hmm. for people to know um, mm -hmm. that it's it's not all black and white. Right. Like nothing right. in life is black and white, right? So, mm -hmm. it, things can 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 you need to be involved in your care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that also is a really critical point in realizing. And this wasn't something I realized until after, you know my daughter's birth, but kind of in preparing before I got pregnant with my son was that different providers are going to have different viewpoint, different risk thresholds and different, you know, manage, you know, clinical viewpoints and management styles and what to them is risky to one may not be risky to the other. And that was something that I hadn't really thought of in the middle of all of this, but that I realized later, that's why it's so important. You know, you kind of have a good idea going in to pregnancy, what your provider's all about and what their stance is on things, because that's going to guide kind of which way you may ultimately end up going or getting led down certain mm. paths. So um, what ended up happening then? What did you do? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, so finally, you know, I went back to this doctor and he, you know, he wrote me, um, a very lengthy email with lots of references and such. And, uh, he essentially said, you can take this back to your OB and show it to her. I don't, I don't care. Like, <laughs> like there's no, you know, he, he was very like, I am with you. Like what she said is, is not true. So, um, it, my OB, you know, from my, from my group ended up backing off. Um, she did not have me sign <laughs> any against medical advice, uh, waivers or anything of that nature. Um, and, um, at that point I still wanted to wait for labor. There was still a little kind of like tugging on my end and their end as far as when they wanted me to schedule a cesarean section in case, you know, she didn't come by a certain time. And, you know, I wanted to wait to 42 and they wanted me to wait till, you know, 40 in a few days. And so we ended up, ended up scheduling a C-section for 40 weeks and six days if she hadn't come by then. And, uh, 
in the meantime, I was like, all right, okay, baby, we got to get this show on the road. Like I, you know, was really didn't want to just show up and have surgery and have her be born. I mean, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me personally, that was just, I felt like I put all this prep, I put all this energy, all this emotion into this pregnancy and watching what I ate and exercising and just all this stuff. I felt like this can't just be the cult. Like I didn't just go through all that. And now it's just, okay, you're just going to show up and, and have a baby on a scheduled date. So I was kind of starting thinking, all right, I'm going to try to see if I can like get labor going. So it my it would have been my maybe uh, 39 weeks and like six days appointment. I, I might be off by a day or two. Um, I went and had a, another checkup and, you know, the baby still hadn't come, of course. So um, I saw actually one of the, um, the PAs from our group and I really had liked her a lot and we had a really good, you know, relationship. And she, she really felt for me that, you know, the baby was breached and could really, you know, just sense my disappointment, um, in that. And, uh, so when I went in with her, um, we, I, we had a, I had her do a vaginal exam and she said, Oh boy. She's like, you are three centimeters and you're like 80% of face and that baby is so low. And, you know, she really was like, Oh, if she was just head down, this would be fantastic. And, and I thought, Oh yeah. And, um, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to ask her, I'd, I'd heard about membrane sweeping and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. If your body was ready, it was ready. And I said, so, Hey, I was like, do you think you could do a membrane sweep? Like maybe it won't work, but I was just, you know, willing to try anything at this point. Um, that was, you know, safe and within the realm of, of, you know, of, of normal. So, uh, she said, uh, yeah, sure. I, I could do a membrane sweep. So, uh, so I asked for the sweep and, uh, definitely was not comfortable, <laughs> but, um, you know, she did it and I left and we just, you know, we had a, you know, appointment for the next few days if, you know, the baby wasn't there. Um, and so I went home, it, that was a Friday and I felt, you know, crampy and just kind of like, you know, like period crampy, like not, not really comfortable. And then I went on a really long walk after that for a couple of hours that night. And, uh, then by Sunday I, uh, I woke up in the very early hours of the morning, about three, three thirty, And, uh, I woke up because I felt this like pain, you know, uh, of pain. And, um, I thought, Oh, this might be labor. What if it is? And even though I know now you're supposed to sleep, try to sleep, you know, through that, <laughs> if you can, I was like up and at it. And I was like, Oh, I just, I was too excited. So well, then it was a long it time coming, of, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> You've been working hard like, for this. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe that sweep worked. Maybe it worked. And I think I was ready. And I, I think it did kind of help to, to send things on the way. So, so then uh, I, uh, yeah, I woke up. I had this ping and I thought, okay, I'm just, I'm going to get up and start taking my time and doing stuff. And then, um, you know, they were just very light and they were coming every now and then. And I told my husband, you know what, just keep sleeping. Like this is like super early. I'm just going to start getting some things together and take my time. So got up and got every, you know, put some makeup on and <laughs> really, you <laughs> and, uh, you know, just got the last few items in our bag and, they were, you know, they were still coming very, 
they're coming and going like waves, just like I had learned about in class and were very manageable and I, you know, could move through them. And then they, you know, just kind of slowly started building and such. And, um, when they got to about, uh, maybe about seven minutes apart, well, they, first of all, let me preface, they had told me, you know, call us when you're, when your contractions are like between, I can't remember. I think they said like seven and nine minutes apart or seven and 11 or something like that. Don't wait until they're five minutes. So I called when they were about seven and, uh, I talked to the attending doctor who was on call that morning and I told her, so, um, my baby's uh breach and we, we were cleared to, to wait for labor. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor because there's a pattern and they seem to be picking up. Um, but they're still, you know, still a good bit apart. And, uh, but they were, but they were pain. I mean, you know, they were intense. They right. were, you know, at this point at seven minutes, I was, you know, I was, I remember I was in the bathroom and I brought a pillow. I would, I was trying to lay on my side. I didn't like that. I tried leaning over stuff. I didn't like that. I, tried squatting I just didn't like that the the only position that I seemed to like was being down on all fours like kind of like praying to Mecca like you know like that just felt the best to me but they were you know I had to vocalize and they were definitely very intense and um and at that point you know I I I had called so they said you know so you know they're still far apart um and I, I had mentioned that my provider said not to wait until they were five minutes apart, that I should come in sooner. And she said, no, 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 the policy is that you wait until they're, you know, five minutes apart and call me back then. And there was a little part of me that was like, um, I'm not really sure about that because again, it was like, now I have one provider telling me one thing and now I have somebody else telling me another. And I think from the whole previous, you know, the experience with my MFMOB and, and my, and my, that other OB from my group, I just kind of felt at that point, like, are they, you know, like, were they just telling me not to wait till they were, you know, five minutes apart or were, were, I mean, I mean, I, I just didn't know what, which, which medical advice was, was right in coming from like a, a point of like true, like, right. Honest, when to go in, you know, like, <laughs> like I, I don't. So when she said, no, just wait until they're five minutes, I thought, you know what, I, I'm, I was in labor. I was in enough, you know, intensity at that point. I was just like, you know what, whatever she says, like, I, I just, I don't have the capacity right now to like analyze, you know, the different opinion, you know, mm-hmm. advice. So I said, okay, all right. Like, all right, I'll call back when they're five minutes apart, but they were intense. And, um, within 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes, I mean, they were really intense even in that 30, 45 minutes I was waiting, but about 30 minutes, 45 minutes later, they called me back. The, the attending OB actually called me back and I was kind of like caught off guard, like, oh, like I thought I was supposed to call you. And she said, so are your contractions five minutes apart yet? And I said, no, but they're about like five, five and a half minutes. She said, just forget it, just come in. So I don't know, we still don't know if maybe she was half asleep and like the whole breach Didn't thing hear the breach like, part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like maybe it just went over her head or maybe maybe she ended up talking with another OB there and maybe they had a little get together and maybe said, Hey, maybe she should come in. You know, I I don't know what it was, but 
she was like, just get in. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fine with me because they were really intense. So I woke up my husband and was like, all right, we got to go now. We got to go. And at this point, I mean, it was to the point where I had to drop everything I was doing. And I remember just getting on my knees and, you know, yeah, in the sounds middle, very living active. room and just, yes, it was yeah. very, and that just felt that position was the only position that was working. So we like scrambled, got everything together. Um, we got to the hospital about, about seven in the morning. So my labor started about three. 3 3:30 got to the hospital at 7 checked in you know it's uh, it's uh it's at the desk there and uh they brought me in and i said the first thing i told her was so my my baby is breached so we need to check the position and they were i could kind of tell they were already like she's breached like why are you in labor <laughs> you know like you were supposed to be here 39 weeks that that was kind of the feeling you know mm-hmm. um so i got in there and uh they the other OB, there was an attending OB there. He he came in. He was very nice, and um, and he did a uh, he did a, um, a a cervical check, and he just screams out, "She's an eight! <laughs> and it was like everybody started like just moving. And mind you, this is at like at a this is at a you know a tertiary, you know care center. This is like a academic hospital with a high resource and and everything. But it was just like a very well-oiled machine, people moving here and there and doing what they needed. And honestly, I, I wasn't afraid. I just was, it was, the labor was just too intense at that point to really like, you know, care about anything else. Yeah, you were an eight. Um, you were like in transition almost. Yes. Yeah. And a cervical check when you're an eight is not mm-hmm. fun. I was like, oh my God, that that was worse than the contract. And um, she was still breached and I could see it on the ultrasound. So I was like, all right, this is it. Like, this is it. So they just prepped, you know, got me ready. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, we, you know, went into the OR and ironically enough, the doctor that ended up, um, doing my C-section who met, met me there was the OB who had previously tried to talk me out of going into labor, (laughs) um, and was very, very adamant, uh, against that. So when she saw me, it was, it was funny. It was almost, I mean, she didn't say anything, but the look on her face was a, I told you so kind of look like, and at that point I was kind of like, you know what? I don't need the judgment, you know, like, plus also you're <laughs> there, you're it, there, you know? babies, yeah, you know, coming, know. it's and the it's, right time. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I had called, you know, I called ahead and asked to come in, you know, I asked about coming in sooner and ironically enough, they're the ones that told me to stay home. And, so luckily I, you know, they did call me back and everything was okay. But uh, anyways, so uh, they didn't have time to check me again, obviously, because of time. But uh, the the OB suspected I was about nine or 10 centimeters at that point. So um, no, I mean, they got, I got my spinal, um, which was very hard to get through a very intense contraction <laughs> when you're in transition. It was like, that was, again, probably one of, probably one of the worst, uh, worst parts of it. Um, but luckily I didn't have any reactions to the spinal or the anesthesia and, um, everyone in the room was, um, very kind. And, um, I do remember, you know, my husband came in and was scrubbed up and he was sitting next to me and it was like maybe 15 minutes, 10, maybe less. I don't know. And and my daughter was out and she let out a very loud scream. So, you know, I knew she was great. And, um, you know, the, the procedure itself was very straightforward and respectful. And, um, the OB made sure to check my uterus for any sort of 
um, anomalies in terms of shape because a lot of, I guess, breech babies end up breech because of uh, a different kind of shape to the uterus. And luckily I didn't have any of that. So hopefully that meant that I shouldn't find myself in the same boat again. Um, and no, I mean, I, um, they kind of wrapped her up and brought her over to us and they took pictures for us. And, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, the, the surgery itself was very straightforward and, um, she was very healthy with Apgore scars of nine and nine and, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, yeah. I was just very happy to kind of have her in my arms and I was very relieved, you know, when she was born, I heard that first cry. I remember just sobbing on the operating table. And I think it was just because it was like, obviously I was so like excited to hear her and I knew she was here, but it was like this also this just like release of like, this is finally over. Like the mental and the emotional kind of like exhaustion of like feeling like the fighting and the going in the back and forth and like having to compromise and like just all of that was just so draining the last few weeks of pregnancy that I just felt like, thank goodness it's over, with. you know, like I can put this behind me and yeah. just move on and enjoy her. And yeah. Yeah. Big relief. And you had yeah. your beautiful baby with you. That's, that's fabulous. We're <laughs> going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to then jump right into your your VBAC story, which has a special twist. We'll be right back. Hey, Mighty Ones. It is not uncommon for stress levels to go up while you're pregnant. You may be worried about the health of your baby, or maybe you're anxious about the birth, or maybe you're wondering how you're going to afford all the extra cost. Or maybe you're just guilt-ridden because you're not eating well and exercising and doing all those little things that everyone is telling you to do for the sake of your little peanut. Fortunately, there is one little simple thing you can do that won't take up more than 10 minutes per day and will improve not only how you feel about all these things I mentioned, but also your birth, the health of your baby, and your own immunity. That little thing is meditation, and yup, it can do all this and even help reduce your pain during labor. Don't know where to start? Easy peasy. Check out Expectful, an evidence-based guide meditation app created specifically for new, soon-to-be, or expectant moms. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. And don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we're back. And so, Erin, you've had, you went through all this and you did... You, you know, you did hold, hold your ground there a bit. You, you, you know, advocated for yourself in terms of letting labor start on its own. So you had a little bit of that experience. And mm -hmm. I'm sure, did, was that like, was that empowering to you? Did you feel, did that shift your mindset in terms of how you approached your second pregnancy? Um, Definitely, because I think I learned that I, I kind of felt like I advocated my, for myself the first almost, I don't want to say accidentally, but I, you know, without having the support or really like a lot of input from a lot of other people, there was just kind of this intuition to just advocate, you know, just, I just, I feel like by chance asked these questions and kind of did that. So I knew that that was the right thing to do. And I knew, all right, I need to make sure I do that the second time around, especially actually have VBACs. I knew, okay, I need that and I need more. <laughs> so um, I definitely took that in um, with me to, to my second birth. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, very cool. So, and you did a lot of preparation um, to now the second time around. You did have a different idea of what you wanted out of the birth. Yes, yes. I I had done just a ton of you know reading and watching of you know movies and videos and just I tried to just absorb as much as I could before I was actually even pregnant. So I felt like I kind of had a head start. And then while I was pregnant, obviously I just continued you know the kind of the self education in that sense. But, um, so I, um, one of the first things I did was I switched providers. So I still was within the same, um, hospital, but I switched to a group of, uh, of midwives. Um, so I left my, uh, my, my obstetrician group and, um, the way it worked was they, you know, they had a partner OB group. If there was anything that happened during the pregnancy that would risk me out, then I would see them instead. But so change providers. Um, I had a much more specific and clear vision of what I wanted. So uh, my goal was to go for a uh, uh, non-medicated birth. Um, And because I, because of, because I knew that that would probably give me the the best chance at having a vaginal birth by trying to go as natural as possible and avoid as many interventions as possible. So, um, so that's essentially what I, I was on board for. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah. Just and so well, during went with it and thought, you know what, unless something pops up, that'll be the road. <laughs> right. So as the due date approached, were there any any different specifications and considerations that you needed to take into account or that the midwives were telling you to take into account as that due date approached because you were attempting a VBAC? You know, no, no. I mean, it was very, like, my pregnancy was just very, it was very straightforward. He was head down. Um, he was very low. They could tell. Um, there was nothing. No, I mean... You know, at my 40-week appointment, the only thing they brought up was, okay, like if we go past, you know, a certain point or we start getting into 41 weeks or right right before 41 weeks, you know, they wanted to start to have that conversation about, um, you know, fetal surveillance um, and non-stress tests or, you know, anything like that just to make sure baby was okay. But other than that, um, we... Yeah, no, I mean, there, there was nothing else. They just kept saying, like, you're a great candidate. Like, I think this is going to be great. Like, <laughs> so no, there, there really wasn't anything. Yay for affirmation and support, like encouragement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, no, I, 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 I did not feel any, like, pushback in any sense um, other than just having that conversation about the surveillance, which was something, obviously, we would discuss if we got to that point. I just didn't even want to think about it till we were there. Awesome. So then how did you know you were in labor? How did it all start? So I had woken up um, very early in the morning, um, kind of like with my daughter the first time around, around 3, 3.30, and was having, you know, I woke up because I, I felt a ping. And, um, but they were coming very, they were just all over the place, 20 minutes, 8 minutes, 15, 30, you know, it was just all over the place. And I texted my doula and she, uh, you know, she suggested I try to, you know, lay down, have some water and see if they would go away. So a few hours of that, I, I kind of was up for a few hours and then, uh, they eventually did, um, taper off and I was able to fall back asleep. So I slept for a couple of hours and then I woke up the next morning, uh, about, uh, about eight 30 in the morning to kind of start the day. 
And shortly after I woke up, they kind of started to start up again. Again, they were very spaced out, like every 30 minutes or so. So uh, I called my doula in the morning and we just had like a little touch base about like what had happened last night. So I had been having the pre-labor, but my doula said, you know, this could go on for a couple days. We just don't really know. So um, yeah, so we just decided we're just going to go about our day. I'll keep her updated and, you know, we'll go from there. So uh, we got everyone ready, got a shower. We ended up uh, deciding that we wanted to go out for brunch. So I went to my favorite brunch spot and um, the contractions were still coming, but again, manageable and far apart. And then around two o'clock in the afternoon, um, I talked to my doula again and gave her a little update. My contractions at that point were about 15 minutes apart. Um, and they were uncomfortable. Like I would be eating and be like, kind of like shimmying and moving and kind of like, you know, twerking to one side and just kind of readjusting because they weren't the most comfortable to just sit through. Um, but they were still manageable. And, uh, so, you know, we left, uh, left brunch about two forty five, and we decided, um, okay, let's, let's go for a walk and see where these go. So we ended up going to a park nearby and started going for a walk and they were getting, you know, again, progressively more uncomfortable when things I would have to, you know, work through and kind of lean on something or kind of squat. Um, and so, um, it just kind of kept going with that. And then it got to a point where we were, we were at this park and I remember this, I was laboring and it was kind of obvious, I think at this point to the people around us, like I was in labor because I was very pregnant and like moaning and leaning on things like mm-hmm. play structures. So people were kind of just like looking from a distance, but not really, you know, not like saying anything. And then this guy just came over and tried to talk to me and it pissed me off. So I knew, okay, I'm, I'm deaf. This is probably like, this is the real thing. So I was still texting with my Dola and I was like, yeah, I, the, they're kind of to a point where I don't want to be in front of people. Like I want to be home. So I told my husband, I'm going to go wait in the car and just get, get our daughter gathered and let's go. So I went to the car and as I was waiting there, you know, the contractions were like really intense. And I was like, I got to get out of the car, but they were still about 11 minutes apart. So, you know, going off of that, I just kept thinking, all right, it's still too early, but they're intense. So we decided we're going to go home. And we still had a few things to gather up before we left for the hospital. So I told my husband, when we get home, if you could just take our daughter out for a little car ride while I get the stuff ready, that would be great because I was in enough pain that I didn't want her to be worried or scared, but, uh, you know, I still had things to do. So, um, so he said, okay, so we got home at about four 30, um, and uh, so I went home and um, he took her out. I was texting my doula about maybe closer to five. I was really feeling like the contractions were really intense. And I think I realized now that was probably when I was in transition because at that point, I remember thinking I couldn't text with my doula anymore. I had to call her. I just couldn't be bothered with texting. So she said, okay, you know what? You might want to, you might want to call people to come get your daughter and like get ready to like really get things on the road and leave here. So I said, okay. So, um, you know, I kind of like was like, okay, I got to get this already. And I decided I would do a little bit of last minute, just meditation before, um, before calling everyone on site to like get ready to go. And I had a couple just really intense contractions and then 
finally at about five, five twenty-seven, <laughs> um, I had a monster contraction and I felt like a little trickle of water. And then I just felt a huge gush and I thought, Oh my God, <laughs> Oh my God. Everything we thought like we're like, this won't happen or we don't want this to happen is happening. So, um, my water broke and I, um, almost immediately he was like crowning. And I remember I just, the intensity was just so, I mean, it was just, it was so intense. <laughs> it's the well, only word I can use. Yeah. It was yeah. just very intense, not even painful, but just intense. So I kind of guided myself down to the floor, uh, of the living room. And I remember thinking that the, the just the most comfortable position, um, at that point was laying on my side, kind of like with my, my, uh, left leg bent up and just kind of leaning on my right elbow and kind of propping myself up. That just seemed to take the edge off of the intensity. Um, but at that point really, you know, it was just, you know, everything was intense. Baby's crowning. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh boy. So, Somehow I like my cell phone was right near me and I just grabbed it immediately called my doula and I looked back at all my phone logs and the times and I mean it was like a 30 second call like 20 seconds something like I mean it was like such a short call and luckily my doula lived just like a few blocks from me and I said I, I just remember blurting out like he's coming my water broke and um, she said I will be right there like I will be right there to get you. And I look back and I'm like, I don't think I mentioned that he was crowning. And I think, you know, it's kind of funny that it was just all happened in kind of one, one swoop. So I think in her head, she thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come on the way. I'm going to get you to the hospital. You know, we're, we're going to go now. We don't not have time to wait. So at all this, where's your husband? So he's out with my daughter <laughs> driving her around. <laughs> And, um, so the next person I called was my husband and I, call, I think I called him actually a couple of times and he didn't, he didn't pick up. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like, I can't believe it. <laughs> like, um, and then I called my cousin who was going to be our, our support person to take our daughter. And I got a hold of her and she was shopping and I just blurted out that my water broke and he was coming. And I think I told her that he was crowning and she said she just like abandoned ship in like Sam's club and just raced down the highway <laughs> and got in her car. So at that point I had talked to my doula. I talked, I hadn't talked to my husband. I talked to my cousin. So I knew my doula and cousin were on the way. I tried my husband again, but again, he didn't pick up and so um, he didn't really know what was going on. And then um, I, I can't remember exactly at what point, but then I just felt my body starting to push. Just like, it sounds really horrible to compare it to this, but it's kind of like when you're throwing up and you just feel like you, you don't have control of your body. Like you're, you couldn't stop it even if you wanted to. Your, my body was just starting to push. And I remember reaching down and putting my hands um, down there and I could feel his head. And I, and I, I knew at that point he's coming, like, there's no way we're going to make it at all to the hospital. But I felt like at that point too, like, I remember thinking I needed to like calm down and like just gather myself because everyone who could be contacted right now, like everyone knew and people were on the way, but 
he was probably going to come. And like, I had to kind of be there for him. Like, I felt like I have to be very present for him and like be aware of what was going on. So I think at that point, like, um, I kind of used like my, my breathing to try to like, just relax and not be uptight. And I wasn't trying to hold him in, but I wasn't trying to prevent him from coming. I was just trying to kind of buy time by just being relaxed and like, okay, let's just, just hang out in this position and like, you know, we'll be good. So, um, maybe my body pushed maybe a couple of more times. Well, that's and then I hear, mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's it. Your body keeps pushing, right? Cause the pushing is done by, you know, it's the uterus and baby that get together and, and baby rotates right. and the uterus pushes and, and you are testament that things like you don't have to do much <laughs> in right, this place. Right. Yeah. Oh. Right. Right. It was definitely like I was along for the ride <laughs> and my body was like, we're, we're doing this. Yeah. So, um, I finally, then at a certain point, like I, I hear a knock on my door and I realized, oh my God, it, it was my doula. And she was like, Aaron, you need to let me in. You need to open the door. It's locked. And I remember telling her like shouting through the door. I can't, I can't get up. Like I just can't get up. And then literally, I mean, within maybe five or 10 seconds of her, arriving she uh like he he was just born he just he just came kind of just flew right out and with a great big cry and um I knew he was okay and it was really surreal to be like wow my, my baby's here yeah that's amazing Aaron yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty crazy and I remember thinking that was so easy. That was so easy. Like I couldn't believe that he just came out and I honestly do not remember like feeling pain. I just like remember him being there. And so I just, you know, um, the first thing I remember saying was I got you, I got you. And I just scooped him up and, uh, just brought him in my chest. And, uh, I remember then kind of like my brain kind of like came back into tune and, you know, <laughs> and I remember hearing my doula saying, Aaron, whenever you can, whenever you can get up, whenever you can manage, just come to the door and, and let me in. And so I scooped him up and I went to the door and I unlocked it and she came in and I was just holding him in my arms and cord and all. And, uh, she was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Like, you know, and like I, you know, obviously it was just surprise, you know, but, um, she kind of helped guide me back to the living room floor and helped you know, help me lay down. And, you know, she obviously is not a trained medical professional and, you know, but just being around birth and seeing, you know, she just tried to, you know, take a look and survey everything she could just to see like, okay, do I, did I look okay? Like, was I, was there a lot of blood and it didn't look like, you know, I was, you know, hemorrhaging or anything. And obviously the paramedics had already been called at that point. So they were on the way and they were coming, but, uh, luckily she could tell, you know, I wasn't hemorrhaging and the baby was breathing and we were all okay. So at that point she, we were just kind of waiting there and she helped me with getting the baby on the breast for the first time and just telling her how proud she was of me and, and also really kind of being like, okay, so the paramedics are coming and we don't necessarily know how they're going to react or, you know, what may ensue from here. So we just, you know, just kind of trying to prepare me that, you know, there could be a lot of people, there could be a lot of commotion and just, you know, just giving me a heads up. So, um, I really appreciated that, but luckily 
the whole scene kind of was actually the total con contrary to, to what we were kind of preparing for. And, uh, paramedics arrived there, there were three men and they were, um, very, you know, very, um, very understanding, very helpful. You know, they looked at me, examined me, they made sure, sure there wasn't excessive blood loss and, um, looked at the baby and he was fine. He was very alert and just taking everything in. And, uh, no, they were just, I mean, I couldn't have been luckier to have, you know, first responders that were so professional and composed and knew what they needed to do and look for, but also were able to like preserve the space of, you know, that, mm. you know, that, that we had there because it was a rather calm, despite the craziness of the situation. Like it was, it was a calm kind of setting. Yeah. Um, so that was really, really, really important. When does your husband join you? Did he get your message? I'm still in my back of my head. is like, where is the husband? <laughs> yeah. So I think in the crosshairs of me calling him and then my cousin trying to call him, you know, I hadn't got a hold of him, but she did. And so she had told him, you need to get home immediately. Like Aaron, Aaron is having the baby. <laughs> so he got home maybe 10, 15 minutes after he was born. So the par the paramedics were the first one. I mean, after my doula, the paramedics were the first to get there. And then my husband got there maybe about five minutes after them. So he, um, and then my cousin, I'm not sure where in the middle, but she also got there as well. Um, I think she may have even beat my husband, but, um, so he got there maybe 15 minutes after the baby was bo born and, uh, he had my daughter in tow and she was actually like asleep. She had just fallen asleep in the car as he had gotten home. So he just kind of pulled her out and had her sleeping on his shoulder and uh he came in and there was like a whole party going on <laughs> and uh eventually uh you know my my daughter kind of came to it and was just kind of looking around and wasn't really scared but just kind of like who are these people in our home and yeah, she's like I'm waking up for my nap what's going on here yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. you know obviously my husband asked you know are you okay and and all of that. Um, and we were all completely fine. So um, had the placenta luckily, come by then? It hadn't. It hadn't. No, I hadn't. It hadn't been delivered. Um, but there wasn't any excessive blood loss. So um, we were okay. So they got me loaded, um, kind of all got me on a gurney, got the baby, got him actually in his car seat <laughs> and uh, took me down uh, the stairs. Um of our apartment complex, we got in the ambulance. And once I got in the ambulance, I was starting to have those, those after pains feeling like, okay. And I, I knew like, Oh, that's the placenta. Like I, like I, I felt that urge of like, I would like to start to like deliver it, but I was laying flat on my back. And like, I think again, that kind of like, if I had been upright, I, I I'm almost certain I would have birthed it right there. But, uh, I had to wait until I got to the hospital um, to be able to kind of do that. So once I got to the hospital, they did a quick um, kind of check over me, check over the baby. And again, they were very professional. Like they greeted us like very professionally and no one was panicked. And luckily I, you know, I hear of a lot of women who accidentally deliver at home or even women that transfer to the hospital from planned home births a lot of times can have a not so nice reception. And luckily I, I, um, I didn't have any of that. And, um, as soon as they started to transfer me from the gurney to a bed, I just pushed out that placenta right away. Just, and that, that was when I really felt like, okay, I'm really done. That was the biggest relief. 
Um, and I felt like, okay, now I can really enjoy just holding my baby and, <laughs> and really being done with the whole process. Yeah, that's, that is a very interesting coming of a placenta, like right between as you're moving from gurney to bed. I, they were literally picking me up and they needed me to roll to my side. And as soon as I just turned the slightest bit to like roll over, it just came right out and just, just as easily as my son came out, it just came, it just needed that little bit of push, little bit of leverage to, to get out. But, yeah, it was uh, right yeah. there. Yeah. Did you tear it all, Erin? So I had a first degree tear. Um... And it's so funny because I specifically remember like your podcast that you had done with um, Rachel Reed on protecting the perineum and about, you know, um, directed pushing and how to how, how try not to, to have that just to prevent tearing. And also I remember specifically about like positions for, for pushing and then, um, and then um, um, suturing and what the rules were on that and what the research was saying. And I remember thinking if it's like a very superficial tear that I would rather actually not have the sutures because I don't necessarily need them and I may heal better. Um, and I remember asking the obstetrician that was about to suture me, I said, so, you know, what kind of tear do I, what degree do I have? And I said, okay, well, it's first degree. You know, I, I might not want to suture that. She said, well, you are bleeding. And I remember remember Rachel saying that, you know, if it was a pretty clean tear and there wasn't bleeding, that you could suture or not suture. So um, that was like, I literally remember that in the moment, like while she was about to do that. And I remember thinking, you know what, I will take the suture because, you know, I was bleeding and I didn't want to continue to bleed. So, wow. Um, but that, I really remember that vividly. And I was so glad that I had listened to that podcast. Isn't it and, funny all the things we remember at different, yeah. like of all the things to remember right then. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I did have uh, one, one small tear and they put in a few sutures, but honestly it, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> oh, that is a, and like to me, it is a fantastic story, and I don't want to. That's just my perception of it. How do you feel about it? So I, you know, I, I think like just like with any birth, I think you go through like stages of processing it. And I think at first there was just like like everything just happened the way it happened, and there was no like I didn't really have any like. I mean, I, I felt very like matter of fact, like, oh yeah, like this happens. And, and I think because in preparing for my VBAC and preparing for a non-medicated birth, um, I had watched so many, you know, videos, um, of women birthing specifically at home and in birth centers, because if you're trying to watch not unmedicated birth, most of them, at least I found in my, my searching YouTube are either home births or birth centers. So I had watched like so many home births and so many birth center births that like, even though I didn't, I wasn't planning a home birth and I definitely wasn't planning to not have a care provider present. I wasn't fright. Like I wasn't, that, that wasn't a foreign concept to me and I, it, it wasn't scary to me. And I, I, you know, so to me it was just very like, well, yeah, like this is what happens. Like if you don't interfere with birth and like, I mean, if you like, so to me, I wasn't phased about the birth itself. And then I think as time set in, set in, you know, there were some feelings of like the disappointment that like my husband wasn't there. And, you know, even though 
I, you know, I, I had my, I actually had asked my doula to cut my baby's cord whenever, um, whenever it was time to cut his cord after his, his blood had all transferred. And I, and I was totally like happy to have her do that because the paramedic was about to do it. And I said, no, no, no. Can my doula do it? I still was sad that he wasn't there. Cause I felt like I had experienced this like crazy phenomenon and like crazy, like awesome experience and he wasn't even there. So there was like, a, there was some sadness about that. And then I think there's always just that a little bit of that morning of like m- your vision of like what you thought would happen at every junction. And, and, you know, I'm going to have this happen like this and I'm going to do that. And to have that not happen, even if it turns out, you know, great and well, and everyone's good, you still, I think, have a little bit of that like disappointment, like it didn't go exactly how you wanted. So, um, so there was, you know, some phase of that. And then I think since then, it's really turned into like a real embrace of like, this isn't the story that I thought I would be telling, but it's my story. And uh, it was a really empowering story, I think. And I, I always like get teary eyed and like cry when I think about like, I was the first one to like put hands on my, my baby and like I brought him to me and even with my plan to give birth in the hospital, I had that on my birth plan. Like I wanted wanted to deliver him and like bring him to me. And like, I felt, I just felt like that was very healing to me because I feel like with my daughter, it was kind of the antithesis uh, and and antithesis. Yeah. (laughs) Antithesis. Yeah. yeah. Like I went from like having the most surgical birth you could have to having like the least, you know, the, the least like, in, you know, surgical birth or, you know, birth with assistance that you could have. And it just felt really, it just felt really empowering to know that like him and I kind of went on this journey and like, you know, like I brought him to me and, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And I, yeah, it just, so it, it's really kind of gone through this metamorphosis of like you owning your story and, you know, owning the parts that didn't go the way that they went. But then, you know, I look, afterward at my birth plan and what I had actually put on, which is funny because then I actually didn't ever end up actually using it or giving it to anyone. But I kind of looked at it and I was like, I pretty much got everything on my birth plan that I wanted, you know? And so there was kind of that, like, in a weird way, the universe aligned and kind of gave me everything that I wanted in a different way. So, um, you know, I kind of came to acceptance with that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been, it's been really great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you make a great point of, of that is a very unique situation where you, you know, you were the only one who touched your baby and, and brought him to you and having, having no, no intervention at any point in that moment of the actual baby being born is mm-hmm. so unusual. I think right. I think pretty much the only way it, that happens is in like in this case like an unassisted situation where right. you are the only one there. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's um yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until you said that I was like, yeah, wait, that's true. Right, yeah. And even a lot of people sometimes that ask me they end up asking me kind of about my birth without knowing anything about it. And I kind of, I kind of just, you know, I kind of give them a, a higher level, like, yeah, he, he was unexpectedly born at home. 
they just kind of assume that somebody else was there, like my husband was there, or some, you know, somebody was there. But I guess when they re- when I kind of clarify, like, no, it was just me. Then that's when they really are like, wow, like that's that's really r- rare that you're actually all. But it's weird because I I didn't I I I mean when my water broke, I had that moment of panic because I knew he was coming and like, it was just, it was a very intense feeling to literally feel everything inside of you shift down. (laughs) But, um, once I kind of like gathered myself and centered, like I, I, I didn't like feel alone and kind of part of the story I didn't mention was that kind of in the, in between making the phone calls at a certain point as my doula had arrived too, I had my cousin still on the phone with me. And although we weren't really talking because at that point I think she, she could kind of hear me like, pushing my body was like pushing she was just kind of there present listening I I didn't feel alone and when my doula was on the other side of the door too like I, I even though she wasn't in the room with me I didn't feel alone. like I knew she was there I knew someone was on the phone so it just it's strange like I I I think I feel much more um like peaceful about my birth than a lot of other people that I tell the story to um, it's almost like, I feel like some people almost like they have, like, it's hard for them to process and it's maybe, I don't want to say traumatic, but hard for them. Whereas it's actually not hard for me, which is kind of <laughs> ironic, you know, it's just hard for people to kind of wrap their head around that. And they maybe feel one way about well, birth than I do. Yeah. But- and and that totally makes sense to me because we have all these expectations of births and a vision of how it should be and where it should be and what you need in order to give birth because we've added all these things, right? I mean, it's fantastic that we have the doctors and the hospitals and the intervention, like those do save life. And But if we strip birth down to its essence, it's what you did. Right. It's right. a woman giving birth to her child. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and and so for all the people that you tell, they they kind of have to like strip all those other things away, which it, you've had time to process it, but right. they they haven't gotten that quite that time yet. So it's like, wait, absolutely. what? Wait, what? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, definitely. It's um, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 definitely yeah. It's that that was a really interesting twist that I didn't expect that, like you can feel one way about your birth story and other people can feel like very different about, um, to them. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, that's been interesting. But, um, I think the most important thing is how you like, do you, you know, I, I felt like it was a, uh, you know, a great birth and I have, you know, I feel very positive about it. And, um, I, you know, I think the gift of my first, experience even though it ended in a c-section was just going into labor with my daughter I never had that feeling of like my body is broken and my body doesn't work and will it know how to go into labor and will I know what a contraction feels like and like like I never had any of that doubt you know I I knew my body could go into labor I knew that it could efficiently (laughs) you know labor and so I think that was like a gift in disguise that that birth gave me that I didn't realize until I was pregnant with my son. And I think that that's a really important thing that I think 
a lot of women, maybe, you know, even if you know you're going to end up having a C-section because you have a breech baby, maybe that's something that, you know, maybe that's something that your provider might, you know, might think, hey, well, maybe, maybe it is good. Because I think it does, it sets you up, like, if you are having more babies, like, you don't go in with the mindset of feeling like there's something wrong with you or, like, I was that 3%, like there's got to be something wrong with me that my baby couldn't get head down or, you know, so, um, yeah, I just, I, I think, you know, every birth story has something to share mm. and contributes to the next one. And I wouldn't have done all the work that I did if I didn't have the experiences from the first one, even the negative experiences, um, with my OB. So, it's funny how all that brings together. If, if, if you are, you know, and I think it does take a specific, willingness to process it and look at it that way and then go and see what what are the what are the, the highlights what are the things the positives about the story that I can then transfer to the rest of my experiences and and that's huge that you were able to do that like that also is great preparation mm -hmm. definitely yeah, yeah. And part of the preparing was just you know, like I, I got like my surgical report from my C-section and like I wanted to see what exactly was in there and, you know, and just having information just, it, you know, it just, you know, knowledge is power. And at no point did I ever, was I ever scared of attempting a trial of labor or, you know, I would have people ask me sometimes, like, are you scared? Or, um, I would they maybe thought I was like totally crazy, but I was like, no, I'm not afraid at all because I had the information and I knew, I knew the evidence in, in what it said and the, the frequency of complications. And of course, you know, if it happens to you, it's, it's scary and it's, it's not such a small risk, but, um, that's the beauty of, you know, everyone getting to make their own informed decisions. And I felt completely, um, yeah, at ease about it. And I think that probably may have also affected the labor and how straightforward it was and having that peace of mind. Mm, fantastic stuff. I know that um, you sent me tons of resources, which is great, of what, what you used during, to prepare during, uh, for the VBAC during labor, during pregnancy, right? Um, I mean, I'm going to list them all in the show notes, but for those who are only listening, would you do like... A quick list of three or four? Sure, sure. So obviously birthful. <laughs> That's a given. Yay! Um, that was huge. I, I, I love, oh, man, there, there's so many favorites. I mean, just that Rachel Reed one, it, you know, that, that was awesome in itself. Um, I mean, VBAC Facts, I know you interviewed Jen Kamel from there, but I mean, that, that to me was like every day I was on that site just reading everything I could. Um, Evidence-based birth, I think, is awesome too. I mean, just the research, just everything you need to know. Um, and then I really actually loved this book I read called Pushed by Jennifer Block. And it is just, it was just really great. And it kind of gives you the kind of an overview of the entire history of like maternity care and birth and obstetrics and how everything came into play and kind of got us to where we are today. So that, and then, um, I mean, I think the business of being born, like I think, and I had not seen that when, prior to having my first baby. And I think, how did I not see this? <laughs> so to me, I think that those are really like, if you have to 
have to really like narrow it down. I think if you cover those, you're you're good. Mm, fantastic. And and if you listeners get the opportunity to look at the show notes, there's more resources there, and you can also read. Um, the story that Aaron wrote directly uh, that has even more details and beautiful pictures because the gallery you those pictures are beautiful they're amazing even within the like paramedics and being transferred <laughs> and all that there's great pictures thank you yeah I keep finding little details in them too as time goes on that I didn't notice at first like smiling faces of the paramedic and just things that like are so important that I could never have like remembered in that like state afterward where you're just like high. And... Mm. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, they're, yeah. Feel free to check them out if you've got some downtime. Okay. Erin, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show today to share your stories. I think this is, it's great for people to listen that birth can have all kinds of variations. Absolutely. Yep. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And if you're pregnant, don't forget to check out my Thrive with Your Newborn postpartum preparation classes at birthfulcourses.com. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Expectful. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another Mighty Mama about her birth story or stories here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.